just pray that you would anoint your word, that it would go deep into our hearts, that it would come forth the way that you desire, Father God, and that the spirit of revelation would be upon it. And I ask, Lord, that you open our ears and open our eyes, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. I hear the Lord saying, I would refresh you, and I would fill you, and I would strengthen you. And so often you walk and your feet and your knees give way, and your body gives way because you're tired and weary in your body and in your mind. But if you would come and sit with me as you have this night, I would refresh you. I would strengthen you. It's my desire to fill you to overflowing, but you must come and be with me. Hallelujah. Amen. That was a good word. Um, Praise the Lord. I was given the topic of worship as an act of faith. And um, when I first uh, was meditating on that title, and, you know, we're all, we're talking about worship, and we're doing the whole series on different kinds of, you know, worship in different types of seasons in our lives and different topics. And I, the first thing I thought of was Paul when he was and Silas thrown in prison, when they were beaten, when they cast out the devil. Cast the devil out of the girl. They were beaten. They were thrown in prison. And then at about the midnight hour, they began to worship. And I wanted to teach on that, but the Lord said, no, I want you to go this way. So, so, so I changed my, my focus, and he began to minister something to me that I... In this, there's, there's some keys in here that I never saw before on a, on some, a number of things. And we're going to talk about the, the wilderness. We're going to talk about the wilderness experience. We're going to talk about Israel and how Israel went in and how Israel is a type and a shadow of us. And how we get saved, we go in, Jesus d- delivers us, he saves us, he translates us from darkness into light. And then we go and, we, and he's already purchased the promises for us. Same as Israel, we're supposed to go into the promised land and take over the land. And the land had giants in it. And they were supposed to conquer the land, and then it was supposed to be divided for them. And they were supposed to occupy. And he began to take me to some scripture that I want to read here. And I'm gonna, I have a lot of scripture, so I'm, I'm probably, what I'm going to do is just, we'll read some of it. And I have it all out of the Amplified, so you might not be able to follow it. I'll just read it slow. And you can write it down, and later you guys can study it. Because the Amplified Version, I, it's funny because sometimes I'll, this will be anointed for me to study. And, and so I'll go from here to, say, the King James, because I like the King James. And I'll read the King James, and, you know, then I'll pull this one out. And, and sometimes this one has more, it's, there's an anointing. The presence of God comes and revelation comes to me, so I stick with it. If I go back to the other one, it just changes. So I stuck with this, and I know it's a little bit more drawn out, but it, it has a way of uncovering a little bit more of the Scripture. It just has a way of peeling it back a little bit better, and so that's why I want to read out of here. So we're going to start with, we're going to be in Exodus, and I'm going to start with chapter 11, so we can go there. And you guys can mark down, if you're taking notes, Exodus from 11 all the way to 17, that whole section in there in the Amplified is so good if you want to read it later. And I want to talk about, uh, um, well, let's read it. Verse 7, he says, um, this is where the Lord, okay, he, he had all of the, um, 
the plagues. We know that uh, the plagues came and Pharaoh kept withholding. Everybody's heard the story about Moses and how he delivered the people. And if you haven't read it, you've seen it on TV, and Charlton Heston is Moses. That's what you picture in your head when you think of this. That's what I picture at least. And uh, so they are at a point right now where they're getting ready to go into the land, to into the desert. And he said, he tells Pharaoh, he's telling them, let my people go, let my people go, let my people go, that they may serve me, let my people go. And so finally, Pharaoh decides to let the people go. And when he lets them go, he lets them go with silver. They were throwing stuff at them. They were wanted them out of there. They were giving them all of their gold, all of their silver, all of their precious stones, and they were going out with a bang, Right? And we come down here, and it says, uh, this is after the firstborn was killed. In verse 6, there, w- there shall be a great cry in all the land of Egypt, such as never has been nor ever shall be. But against any of the Israelites shall not so much as a dog move his tongue against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between the Egyptians and Israel. And I want to I magnify the, the word distinction. In the King James, he says there's a difference. I want you to know, Pharaoh, there's a difference between my people and your people. I want you to know there's a difference. And if you look that up, it means distinct, marked, and distinguished to be separated or set apart. He set them apart for himself. It was time. The timing came. God heard their cry, and he was going to deliver them with a great deliverance, with a great hand. And he said, today you're going to know they are distinctly different. And then if you go over to, uh, keep your hand there, but 2 Corinthians 6. Now, I want to make a comparison here. So what I'm, what I'm doing is showing you that uh, this is really how we are, how God sees us and how we are to be. We are distinctively different. If you are saved and you have asked Jesus into your heart, he has translated you from darkness into light. Now, who can do that but God? Nobody can do that. That is a miracle. That is something that happens on the inside of you right here. There's light that hits you. You have a revelation of your sin in comparison to his goodness and his love, and you fall on your face in repentance. And he translates you from darkness to light. It's not just a little sinner's prayer, Jesus save me. It is a conversion that takes place in your heart. That's why you can have people in the church that are saved and really know God, and you can have people in the church that have mentally ascended, They understand who God is. They understand that God died on the cross, but they're not yet converted. It happens inside of here. And that is a birthing that takes place. And that is partly why the church needs to travail and and birth birth people into the kingdom through prayer. So he's translated us from darkness to light. He has set us apart. And here's what he says right here, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. verse uh, 16 and 17. What agreement can there be between a temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, even as God has said, I will dwell in and with and among them, and I will walk in and with and among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So come out from among unbelievers and separate or sever yourselves from them, says the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and then I will receive you kindly and treat you with favor. So 
the Israelites were separated. Everything that they had in, in the darkness of the plagues being uh, upon the, the Egyptians did not touch them. Their cattle, their animals were not touched. All the other cattle were dying. On the firstborn, when the firstborn was hit, all the firstborn of the cattle died. All the firstborn of the sons and daughters, whoever they were, they died in the camp of the Egyptians. The firstborn represented the blessing. Jesus is the first fruits. He lives in us. We are the first fruits. There was a special blessing on the first male that, inter- that came out of the womb. We are now, the, the blessing is on us because Jesus lives in us. Amen? Amen? So we are distinctly different. We are set apart. And uh, we have been translated from darkness into light. And now what is happening, and I brought this here for a reason. So I'm going to set it over here, and I think I'm going to talk about it. I'm not sure yet because I'm just flowing with whatever God is showing me. My notes are everywhere. And they're ugly. And, and, and it's, hard, it's, it's sad because I, I, when I study, I get all these notes, and then I go, Lord, I need to put them in order. And I try to put them in order, and then I just throw my hands up. And I say, Lord, just put them in order for me. So that's why I'm just, we're just moving. So they came out of Egypt. They were separated unto him, and they were going somewhere. We were saved. We were brought out from darkness into light. And, you know, the scripture tells us that we were groping. The people that don't have Jesus are groping in darkness. They're, they're feeling their way to touch something, and they don't know it. And so we came out of darkness into light. The, Egyptian, or the Israelites were coming into a new place, and the Lord had an arrow. This is the way, walk in it. And the Lord is telling us, this is the way, walk in it, and he's leading us somewhere. If you are saved, he is leading you somewhere. But you know something? Not everybody goes. Not everybody sees the arrow and not everybody goes. And that's what I want to talk about tonight is where he's leading us, what he wants from us, and what he wants to do for us. Amen? Luke chapter 3, and Pastor talked about this, and so this will just be like a, a little refresher. Chapter 3, verse 22. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form. This is Jesus. Like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased and I, de- and I find delight. And that's what God is saying to us tonight. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. In you I am well pleased. I love you. I desire to show you my goodness. The Lord wants to reveal who he is. And he is not mad at us. And this is what he said to Jesus. He confirmed him. A voice came from heaven. It was a voice of God, his father. And he said, this is my son. I am well pleased with him. And then look what happens. Verse 4. Then Jesus, full of and controlled by the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, and he was led by the Holy Spirit for during 40 days in the wilderness desert where he was tempted, tried, tested exceedingly by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days, and when they were completed, he was hungry. And you know what? When he was hungry, that's when Satan came. It says when he was hungry, then he started to get tempted. But what I want to talk about is we are going somewhere. The Lord has approved us. And I want to tell you, as a Christian, there is a direction that God is sending us, and it is into a wilderness place. And there is a reason why God sends you there. He sends us into the wilderness place. Nobody wants to go there. 
When you look at that, who would want to go there? The Israelites, they didn't know what they were getting into. And you know what happened? God himself routed them a different way on purpose. They could have went another way by way of the Philistines, and it was a shorter route. And the Lord knew if they did that, he did that, they would see the enemy and they would go back. And so he purposely led them to have their back up against the water, and the the other side was the enemy coming at them. God himself did. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? that That was his will. He wanted to show himself strong on behalf of his people. They were in Egypt for so long, and those people worshipped idols. They did not understand. That's what they, they did not know who God was. They didn't understand who he was. All they saw was the Egyptians and their, their idolatrous uh, um, images, their, their, their uh, wolf heads and all the things that they worshipped. That's what they were around all the time. And so they needed to find out who God was, and the Lord was sending him that way. And he purposely put their backs up against the, the water so he could deliver them. And it says in the scripture that, that the pillar of cloud went all the way behind them and stood behind them, between them and the enemy. And the Lord has our back. He has our back. He is with us. And he he sends you, and that's the one thing that I wish as a Christian, when I first got saved, that somebody would have told me. But that is where, that's where you go. You go to a place of wilderness. And you know what? It may not be just one time. It may be seasons of things. And if you're walking through sickness, that might be a wilderness for you. If you're walking through financial crisis, that might be a wilderness for you. But when you're in that wilderness, you know you're there. You know it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know when you're in there. And you know something? You're all alone. You might have your mate right here. You might have all the friends all around you. But you're alone, and you know it. And you know that it's you and God. And if you don't grab hold of God, you're not going to make it. And that's, the, that's what happened when they went in. And so God approved. He's approved of us. He's bringing us there because he loves us. Now, the Israelites went there, and I want to show you something in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And you guys can write it down. I can just read it. Uh, verse, um, we'll start with verse 2. And you shall earnestly remember... All the way which the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you, to prove you, to know what was in your mind and heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you recognize and personally know. And I'm not going to say that part yet because that's something that I want to save for later. They went into the wilderness, and they, first of all, they met, they were met, you know, God, they didn't have water. He, he purified the water the first time, and then the rock was struck the second time. So he provided twice. But let's just think of this. They went into the wilderness. They had all the gold and silver they could get. They had animals to sacrifice because they were supposed to worship. There were three things they were supposed to do. Did you know that? This was something I did not recognize before. Number one, it says, let my people go that they may serve me. Number two, let my people go that they may have a feast unto me. Number three, let my people go that they may worship me. Three things. 
that they were supposed to do. And when you find yourself in that wilderness place, these are the three keys of what we're supposed to do and what God is wanting. It really is this, it becomes a salvation to us when we do these three things. He's trying to teach us something. And the three things that he had, the feast was Exodus 5.1. It's to, the, do you know what a feast, to hold a feast was? It meant to be giddy and to leap and to dance. We're supposed to dance in the wilderness. When we find ourselves in a dry place and we don't know what's happening, we think God left us and we can't find him, we're supposed to dance in that place. We're supposed to be giddy and worship in that place. Number two, we're supposed to serve. And that meant uh, to work, to worship, to make oneself a servant. Whatever God tasks at my hand to do, I shall do it with all my heart. I don't feel God around me, but I'm going to do it with all my heart. I don't know what he's doing right now, but I'm going to serve and I'm going to do it with all my heart, whatever he puts in my hand. And number three was to worship, was to sacrifice. And when you sat, and it literally means to slaughter animals, to slay, to sacrifice, to offer sacrifice. And this is what I want to say to you. When we offer a sacrifice, when you worship, worship and sacrifice go together. You cannot worship without sacrificing something. And that something in that wilderness place is your will. When, the, when you're down and you're thinking, I don't want to stand up, I don't want to dance, I don't want to do that, you do it on purpose. And you know what's happening? Your will is becoming a sacrifice unto him. And it is well-pleasing to the Lord. Amen? And that's what I want to talk about this rose right here. This rose, God is so elaborate. He is so over the top with beauty and how he arrays things. It is amazing to me. And I like to paint. And as, as much as I can paint, I could paint that rose and make it look like that rose. But it'll never be alive. That's right. It'll never be alive. And yet, God arrays. Look at the intricacy that he's. If you take a magnifying glass on a blade of grass that we step on, it is the most intricate, beautiful thing that you could ever look at how it's made. If you looked at it through a magnifying glass, that is how God has made us. He knit you in your mother's womb. He knit you. He knew exactly what he was doing. He made you perfect. He made you exactly the way he wanted to make you. And your personality is a personality that he wants to fellowship with. That's why he made it that way. Amen? And so he painted this rose, but he made it alive. But first it starts as a bud. And when you get saved, that's what we're like. We're like a little tiny bud on the branch. And then as the Lord brings us through certain things and circumstances, we begin to open and we begin to bloom. And we end up in full bloom like this. And yet God, every time I look at this, I, uh, roses in my garden, I think the word of the Lord lasts forever. The grass withers, the flowers fade, and the word of the Lord lasts forever. When I look at that rose, that's what I think of. God's word will last forever, forever and ever and ever. You know why? Because his word is Jesus, and Jesus is forever. They are one. They cannot be separated. And so this rose here is going to be alive for what? Maybe four days and die because I clipped it, but even on the branch it will still die, and then a new one will come up. When you're in the wilderness place and the Lord begins to show you the things that he wants to show you, first of all, he, it's a humbling place to be. It is a humbling place to be. Because what he wants is he brought them in so that he could bring them close to himself. He wanted to bring them to the mountain. 
That's why he brought them there. He wanted them to know who he was. And the way that he shows who he is is by showing us who we are. When he uncovers himself and his beauty and his goodness, we are like Isaiah and we fall down and say, woe is me, I am undone. You see your ugliness in light of his goodness and you fall on your face in repentance and you understand how much he loves you. It's his love that he wants us to know because perfect love casts out all fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. His love is perfect. And in him, I can do all things. So when we go into those places that we don't want to be, those places that are uncomfortable, and we begin to discover the things that he wants us to see, we worship him. We sacrifice our will. We hold a feast unto him. What did David do? You know, David was uh, a man after God's own heart. That's what the scripture tells us. But why was he a man after God's own heart? I believe it's partly because he learned in the wilderness who God was. He was quick to repent when he did wrong. He didn't, he didn't argue with God. He didn't make excuses for the things that he did. He repented when he found out it was sin. He was quick to repent because he knew, he knew that it would separate him from his Lord. And so David was in the wilderness. What was he learning there? He, he was, you know, he was a servant. When Samuel came to anoint him, anoint the king, he went through every single son. Every single son. And that last son wasn't even around. They had to call for him because as he was serving, in, he was in the backwoods, in the desert, in the wilderness, tending sheep. They called for him. He was anointed king. And all of his brothers heard it. And then where did he go? He went back to the sheep. He went back to work. But what did he learn there? God was teaching his hands to war. He killed the lion and the bear. He, he worshipped in the wilderness with his flute. He must have been alone a lot. He learned how to tend the sheep. And his, when he graduated, he tended a bigger flock. He tended all of Israel. Okay, He came out of there. He was anointed king at that moment. Samuel left, and it was what? St- probably it was 10 more years before he was actually elevated to king. And he refused to touch Saul. He refused to kill him. He had the chance. He could have taken it himself, but he waited on God. And all that time he was on the run because Saul was after him. But he went in and he killed Goliath. And, you know, he took up five smooth stones. And, you know, that Goliath had four brothers. He, did, he had five stones. He knew what he was up against. And yet he was this scrawny boy, probably 20 years old, 17 to 20 years old. And he came out against this giant who was ten and a half feet tall. Because you know what he said? He said, who is this one, this Philistine, this uncircumcised Philistine that defies the armies of the living God? He knew God. He was in the wilderness worshiping God. He was not afraid. He came out. He knew, and he knew who he was, and he ran after Goliath. He ran after him, and he slung that stone, and that stone hit. There was one spot for it to hit. And it sunk into his forehead, and then he decapitated him. He was a forerunner when he came out. He was a forerunner. The rest came and took the spoil, and they went after all the rest. Amen? Okay, so let me go backward here. (laughs) 
place of humbling. They were fed manna, which they didn't know or understand. And you know what that word meant? Exodus 16.4, which I thought was interesting. You know, when you're in the wilderness place, it's really funny because the Lord provides, but he doesn't give you an overabundance. And that's what's a little bit irritating because it's not a, you think, okay, you're provided for, but it's, it's like, but there's nothing extra. And it becomes frustrating. But see, they didn't have extra. They couldn't save it either. They had no control. When they were in the desert, they, they had no control. God had the control. When the pillar moved, they moved. When the cloud moved, they moved. And they could have been setting up camp and clearing up camp daily. I don't know. I don't know how how much they moved. But they didn't have control to even take care of themselves. And yet God, even in their murmuring and all of their complaining, God is is trustworthy. He is loyal. He never allowed their shoes to, to, to wear off their feet. They were provided for the whole time, even in their disobedience. That was an 11-day journey that took 40 years, and they dropped dead. They couldn't go in. Their kids went in. Their kids went in. So here we are, this rose right here, and we're in full bloom. But there's two kinds of roses. There's roses that look pretty like this, and then there's roses that have fragrance. And the rose with the fragrance is the rose that I want to be. And in the wilderness is where you are crushed, and where you get that fragrance when you sacrifice your will for his will. And you worship him, and you love him, and you walk with him. Now, you know something? They complained and complained and complained, and yet God cared for them. When they went in and they, he fed them manna, I'm going to read this because this was so good to me. When the, 16, 15, when the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, manna meaning, what is it? For they did not know what it was, and Moses said to them, this is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it as much as they need. And so, in in other words, they had just just enough as what they needed for that day. They couldn't save it, and yet they tried to save it, and the next day it rotted and it got worms. And then on the Sabbath, they they could take enough for two days so they wouldn't, so they didn't work on the Sabbath. Okay, this manna was so important that they put it in the ark for remembrance, okay? There's three things in the ark for remembrance. Aaron's rod that budded, the Ten Commandments, the the tablet stones, and the manna, okay? And they all have meaning, and they're all inside of us. That Aaron's rod that budded said, this is the one I choose for the priesthood, right here. And that's what we are. We are priests unto the Lord. Okay, the manna represents Jesus. And you know what? Jesus was the manna that came down from heaven. He was the bread of life that came down from heaven. He's the dew that's spread out for us to eat. It's always there for you. Every day it's there for you. And like Becky's word, the word that God gave was, will you sit with me and will you sup with me and will you gather your manna for the day? And it tasted like honey. And that's what Jesus tastes like. He tastes like honey. And yet they said, what is it? It meant, what is it? They didn't know what it was. And what did the Pharisees say? When Jesus came on the scene, they said, what is it? They didn't understand who he was. They said, who is this man that has such great authority? What is it? He's just Jesus, the carpenter's son. This can't be the son of God. And they rejected him. And it's the same as the manna that came down from heaven. For us, the word of God. 
that every day we eat it. You cannot live on yesterday's food. We cannot live on yesterday's food. We have to have a word for today. And it can be the same scripture as long as it has the breath of God on it. See, that's what I look for, is the breath of God on it. Because this right here are words on a page. I had a, I had a, a professor at Fresno State, and he would argue, and it was a humanities guy, and we, there was this one kid that just kept arguing with him, and we would argue with him because he would go over Job. And, you know, you go through Job. If you're reading it like a literature book, it's dead as a doorknob, and gosh, who would want to ever serve God? <laughs> with what happened to Job. And he read it like that, and they argued with him, and we argued with him. And I remember thinking, this man is blind. And I wanted to tell the kid, you can't, you can't do anything because he can't see. He's reading this like pages on a, just words on a page. And so when we sit down, you know, you have the Spirit of God in you. You have the Holy One inside of you. The Holy Spirit who ignites these words on this page. And when it is inspired, it leaps off of the page, and it becomes life. It's just as alive as the rose on the bush. It's just as alive as I'm standing here or you're, sta- you're sitting there. It is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides asunder the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. You know what that means? When it divides the soul from the spirit, and I read this, and it says something, and it cuts me, It shows me with a revelation to my eyes what is of my soul and what is of the Spirit of God. And then I can say, oh, oh, I get it. I want the Spirit. I want what the Spirit of God says. And I allow it to cut me. And I allow, because you know what? This word is like double-edged. It doesn't just go out this way. It cuts the way back. And you know why? Because it is cutting away all of that which doesn't belong. All those things, all those attitudes, all the thoughts that are wrong, all the things that we just consider us. You know what I'm saying? Like, we we just think, well, I just think this way. I think, you know, or I get, I just get angry over that. Or I just, I just worry over that. Oh, it's all right. But it's not all right. It's not all right. The Lord wants to cut off of us those things that should not be there. We're in an hour of shaking. This is an hour of shaking, and all that's shaking, he's shaking till there's nothing left that should remain. He wants his people close to himself. And we all know we're coming into some times that are, are going to be hard times, but it's okay because he loves us, and he wants to prepare us for what's to come. And the way we get prepared is we sit and we sup with him, and we, he, we allow him to wash us. And you know what I thought about? I thought, you know, I don't want to be in the wilderness as much as you don't. Heck, no way. I don't want to be by myself. But I thought about it, and I thought, you know, in the wilderness, that was the only place that the pillar of cloud and the fire, pillar of fire was. There's no other place in the scripture that they had that. That was the very manifest presence of God right there in front of them. What did David say? David said, he spreads a banquet table in the presence of my enemies. Your banquet table is in the wilderness. There is things that happen in the wilderness that you, that you can never, it has to happen there because you discover by yourself 
who God is. You can be walking with other people and know who God is and be hearing God from your friends and be hearing God from your pastor, but until you hear God for yourself, until you sit with him and know that everything in you has grabbed hold of him, you will not be changed. And that's what I pray for my children, is that I can lead them. I can train them. I can tell them what's right. They repeat a prayer. Daniel says the same prayer every time he has a meal. Same prayer. I used to say the same prayer only because it was a, I was Catholic, so we had a Catholic prayer. But he says the same prayer. And I know that he has to have his own visitation. And that's what I pray for, that he and Jewel have their own visitation, their own revelation of who God is. Because if they don't, they are not going to follow him. They will not follow him. And so we learn who he is in those places. We, we get to know what his power is, and there's something that, we, that he wants us to see in the midst of it. And this is where I'm going to go back to that one part that I did not read in, in Deuteronomy Because the whole thing is about learning this one thing. Eight. Eight, three. He humbled you and allowed you to hunger. He allowed it. He fed you with manna, which you didn't know. Nor did your fathers know that he might make you recognize and personally know that man does not live by bread only, but man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. That is what he wants to teach us in that place. That if you're sick, it doesn't matter. You live by the word of God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were supposed to bow down to the golden calf, and they refused, and they said, we will not bow down. If God delivers us, then he delivers us. But if he doesn't deliver us, we will serve him anyway. We will love him anyway. And they jumped in. Amen? And so it really doesn't matter. It matters, but it doesn't matter. I'm not trying to trivialize the places that everybody's in. Because everybody's experience is is big to them and so i can't say yours is worse or or hard uh, mine's harder than yours i can't say that to me mine would be hard to you yours would be hard i could look at somebody going through cancer and say that would be hard that is a wilderness place but in that place in those places god teaches us who he is and how much he loves us and how much he cares for us and he wants to deliver us he does not put sickness on us But the Lord is about making a dollar out of 50 cents. You know that saying? My mom would say, I can't make a dollar out of 50 cents. Well, God can. And he'll take a situation, and he will flip it around, and he will make a dollar out of 50 cents out of it. And so the enemy comes at the tail end. He he tempts you in that wilderness place too. David had to fight the bear and the lion. Jesus had to fight Satan with the word of God. And then he was proved. But when he came out, and this is the best part, you guys. When Jesus came out, he came out in power. He did miracles. When David came out of the wilderness, he was, he was crowned king. He, manif- he was manifested into his uh, position and his, where God had him. When they came out of the wilderness place, there was an anointing. There was a substance that they had. There was something in their hand that nobody could ever take away. And you can't even see it, but when it is released, it's like, the, it's like the rose. When you put that rose, this rose has a fragrance. But there are some roses, if you put them in your house and it has a fragrance, your whole house smells. And then there's the rose that are just pretty, 
They're very pretty, but there's no smell. God wants us to have the fragrance. He wants us to have the smell so that others can partake of it. That's what it's all about. He wants to, to, to reveal himself through us to others so that they can come to him too because he loves us. Amen? Yes. That's all I have. Praise the Lord.